This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. Let's do it. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. I'm Colt. Yeah, two of us here this week, convening just a few hours after Ralph Rangnick's first match in charge, 1-0 win against Crystal Palace at Old Trafford. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a good start. Uh, I think a lot of people were maybe thinking there was going to be some huge changes going on, players changing, formation changing. In the end, it's an unchanged lineup, And yeah, we'll obviously get deep more into what we think has changed in the tactics and how much has changed. But yeah, what's your initial kind of take on that game over there, Com? Uh, my initial thought is just that I'm trying not to get too carried away because I was very, very pleased with what I saw. Um, at halftime, even at nil-nil, I was pretty much ready to sign him on for a three-year contract. Um, I think there's just such a nice clarity around it so far with obviously a very limited um, you know, body of work to work to, to really look at. But everything he said is it was reflected in that performance and truly it was reflected in the Arsenal game. Um, and that's really pleasing to, to have someone who you understand how they play away from your club. They then come to your club and describe how they're going to play and then they play and it's what they were describing and what they previously did. And that's a kind of a clarity and a, a sense of purpose, I think, that's been very much missing at our club for a while. So I'm very high on that right now. I'm extremely pleased and I think he comes across extremely well. Yeah, he does come across very well. And, you know, as well as the, the two matches for us to talk about on this podcast, which is obviously Palace today and Arsenal midweek, uh, you know, as well as that, we've had kind of press conferences and quite a bit of information from Ralph Ranjik about where he sees his role. He goes quite deep into tactics already as well, which is kind of interesting to see. Uh, you know, maybe Ole had often shied away from talking too much about such things, even though he did sometimes. But yeah, Ralph, you see immediately that for him it's all about this and it, it does remind me though a little bit about kind of the times when Louis van Hal came in and just in terms of somebody who obviously has a philosophy and he says look this is how it's going to be and the time it's going to take um, and of course the philosophies are literally polar opposites between mm. the kind of possession type of football that Louis van Hal was going for and the pressing direct football that Rangnick is known for um, you know so we'll talk about that obviously the other big news that we will talk about more when we talk about the Arsenal game is that Michael Carrick has left the club. Um, but look, let's start with today's game. Let's start with Ranjik. Uh, as I said, look, it was an unchanged lineup that I was not that surprised about, especially after the guys had kind of, you know, come back pretty well to win that game midweek. And, you know, he's only had a couple of days to work with the team uh, to come in over here. And, you know, we've got players missing as well. So there wasn't maybe that many options for him to be going for. I guess the one might have been that Arouan Bissaka was back on the bench, but he's stuck with Dallow. Uh, it has been interesting to see some of these players that we didn't see much of, you know, 
Dallo, Tellez. We had a bit of a chat about Tellez on the last pod because he'd had a couple of games. Now we've seen a couple of matches from D- Diogo Dallo that, yeah, I personally have been saying for ages that I want to see more off and think he's a decent player, but he's not been that well rated by our fans. I mean, where are you at on Dallo? Well, I'm hugely encouraged by today's performance. I would, I am in a place as a Manchester United fan where I would like to see anyone except Aaron Wan-Bissaka, to be honest. So I have long been wanting to see Dallo, even though at the same time I didn't actually place a lot of faith in his ability to be our starting right back. Neither of them absolutely fill me with any confidence at all, really, to be honest. Um, especially Aaron Wan-Bissaka, I think that is there's just limitations there that I don't think will ever be surpassed. And I just think, you know, today was even more of an insight into if you want to play this kind of pressing, high-octane, tactical brand of modern football that um, Ralph certainly does and that a lot of his disciples do, so much of your ball will fall to your fullbacks because they will play like wingers, they will go up and down, and they have, you know, over the last 10-15 years in football generally become some of the most important players on the pitch. Your Danny Alves, your Marcelos, now your, your Trent Alexander-Arnolds and your Andy Robertson's getting... 10, 15, 20 assists and goals per year, set-piece specialists, all the rest of it, they're very often the, the, the players on the pitch in a very tactical era that actually have space and time to kind of uh, demonstrate their will and, and to create things. And Aaron Mamsak will never do that. He will literally never do that. Diogo Dallo is a different kind of situation because we bought him as this kind of young talent from Portugal whose big thing was his his kind of technical ability particularly his crossing and his ability to really whip the ball with that right foot and I think that you really saw that today not only in some of his deliveries which I thought from both sides were excellent for Ronaldo generally um, but also the, the kind of driven and curled passes both into the centre of the pitch but over sort of 30 or 40 yards drilled into McTominay or Fred to really advance us up the pitch in a difficult situation where he was being pressed or indeed kind of that whipped out down the line ball uh, which he definitely has in his locker I think he has all the quality on the ball that I would want from a United fullback. It's the other side of the game then that is the concern with Diogo. And while Saha, I think, would normally be a a pretty tricky matchup for most defenders, due to the team structure today, it really, you know, he was really feeding off scraps. Um, Gallagher wasn't able to steady himself and, and feed his forwards at all. And the one or two times that um, Zaha did get in behind or did get run at the low, he did okay. You know, he did just okay. It's just that that defensive side of the game that I would need to see more of. But I was delighted with the performance today. And I think he certainly bought himself a lot of credit when he might have been considering leaving the club in January of the summer. Yeah, and I think both fullbacks actually have got quite a lot of credit from these past couple of games. Uh, you know, players we haven't seen much of. I personally been one who's always been saying I think that Dallow is a better player than Tellers but even yeah Tellers has surprised me uh, looked more solid defensively than I thought but we all knew that he's got a really good cross on him and as you said in this kind of setup that's going to change the fullbacks become incredibly important uh, I mean Right from the start of this match, I was kind of trying to work out what was going on with our forward line. You know, immediately you could see that we did have a different kind of setup. Uh, you know, Oli had always fallen to that kind of 4-2-3-1, which was his default, even though he had gone for different things here and there. But that was his default. Uh, and immediately you could see between Sa- Sancho, Rashford, Bruno, that there was something different happening. Uh, and it became clear by kind of half time that Ranić had gone for this 4-2-2-2, which is formation that he is actually known for before. Uh, you know, we're sticking with McFred. That I think, again, you know, you see Twitter saying, oh, I'm glad a new manager's come in when we'll never see McFred playing again. Yeah. And I think a lot of those thought, people thought, are going to be... <laughs> I thought those proclamations were a little bit short-sighted when I was hearing them in the last few weeks. And I think that just shows where a lot of our... our uh, supporters are as a fan base and sometimes players you know go through such tricky patches with the team and the team generally are going through a tricky patch that opinions on them just become so ingrained and so uh kind of staunchly defended that all the evidence in the world will not change that person's opinion on that player and i think less so fred because i think he has more kind of faith generally um from our fan base but certainly with mctominay and you know, there there definitely is a, a big question as to whether McTominay is really of a of a good enough quality to be our out and out starter for our team. 
I've always maintained he's an extremely useful squad player and for certain games, you know, does great things for us. I want us to get a player like Matomine just better, essentially, you know, with the ball at his feet and stuff like that. However, anyone who thinks he's not a player that Ralph will like, I think is not reading the room very well, to be honest. Um, and they're probably in for a, a rude awakening. And that's not to say he can't be upgraded. You know, I think a Declan Rice in the summer does everything he would do and better, you know, and is probably more tactically astute in many ways. Um, but for the here and now, it's very hard to see him picking anyone else. I think even if Pogba's fit, you're probably looking at a three in midfield rather than sacrificing those two. You know, his quotes after the game today were that on the defensive side of the ball, they were almost perfect. And that in the first half, they were extremely good on the ball with just one or two sideways passes that he didn't like. You know, I thought they were very effective today. I mean, well, obviously, we'll come on to Fred. It's kind of a different story. But as a partnership, I would be absolutely prepared to see much more McFred if I were a United fan. I am a United fan. And, um, and I'm not I'm not sad about it because it just shows that how you use them is kind of more important. And this goes to the whole team. You know, what you tell everyone to do and how you allow the team to set up is more important than necessarily the 11 names that you pick. Yeah, and you know, and I've always said that McFred, for me, are still our best partnership individually. Neither of them are in our top midfielders, whether it's Pogba, whether it's uh, Van der Beek, even, yeah, Matic, Bruno. But yeah, as a partnership, they still work well when they're on form. And yeah, we will get on to Fred in a lot of detail because I think out of all the players, he's probably had the most kind of column inches in these past couple of games. But let's just stick a little bit more to this kind of slight change in formation. Um, you know, as I said, in the two, you have McFred. Then it was really interesting for me to see that. And then in the next two, it's Bruno and Sancho. And he's pushed Rashford much further forward to kind of join Ronaldo at the top of the pitch. Um, and that is the main kind of difference. I mean, it is a big change in a way. In the same way, it's not a complete revolution because you're really just pushing Rashford a bit further yeah. forward than where he normally is. So it's not a huge change. Um, but you do see, you know, what I always say that one of the things I was like looking at is our kind of average position charts. And when you get these kind of changes, then they become so much more interesting. Uh, and immediately, if you go and look at our average position chart for today, you see straight away how we're very like narrow. Everybody's congested in the middle. The fullbacks stand out at the way back. And in fact, Rashford ends up by far our most forward player. And it's actually kind of Sancho and Ronaldo who then end up in a kind of hole behind him uh, with Bruno almost making like a three with Fred and McTominay. So, you know, there's one thing how the team is set up and what Rannick's aiming for. And then there's another thing is how it actually plays out, uh, which is why I was like looking at those kind of average position charts. And I do always say, oh, I'll post these out on Twitter. And to be honest, I never get around to it. But this week I definitely will do because it is interesting to look at and even yeah. interesting to look at what Carrick had done against Arsenal midweek, which again was slightly different where Fred is kind of pushed a bit further up the field and given a bit more license to go. Uh, so, yeah, in the last few matches, we have seen some kind of changes there. And I think as well, you saw in that first kind of part of the game, especially, uh, there was a more effort at kind of pressing high up the pitch and we were kind of winning the ball up there. Yeah, we, def we definitely were. I mean, that was evident in the Arsenal game. It was kind of uh, absolutely carried through and it was pretty starkly contrasting to how we've played all this year i think you know there was a period at the start of Ole's tenure where we did press quite well um, and that seemed to be a core ideal of his he even said it multiple times that you know he kind of likened us to liverpool and said that's what we want to be which never really goes down well but i think everyone understood what he meant and was excited about it. it just got lost i think as time went by whether he felt he, he didn't have the ability to kind of imprint it on the team whether the team were too reluctant to actually do it for him we'll never really or they just thought tactically you know we should move away from that we'll not, we'll not really ever know that i don't think however i don't think that'll happen i hope that won't happen in this instance because it is very obvious coming back to the 4222 thing i think that's that's really interesting because as you say in some ways it's very different in other ways it's not really different at all because you're just playing the same players and they're all just kind of occupying a space about 10 yards away from where they were previously you know sancho's just coming in a little bit off the flank really bruno's kind of just dropping slightly out to the right or the left whichever side he takes and then it's rashford's really the big change where he's playing really as a second striker but i really think it suits our personnel extremely well and um, for several reasons i don't really want to see greenwood played that much out in the out in the wide areas so when he will come in for rashford or ronaldo he's playing more as a number nine which i think long term will be better for him we obviously have cavani who can drop straight into this and Martial, who's 
always said now that he wants to be a number nine and, and seizes his position as that. So I think it suits those players. I think it suits Rashford because, as you say, he maintains the highest portion of that. And, and really, even though he's really, really struggling for form at the moment, and that's probably a conversation to be had on the pod in itself, he is still the, the really genuine behind the line threat. And that's what the team needs him to be in this formation, which is absolutely fine. And then you have um, Bruno and Sancho, who I think in some of the games previously, we were starting to really look at Sancho and be like, you know, is this going to be a bit of a Kagawa situation? Is he really best suited, you know, stuck out on the byline? And, you know, there was that game, I can't remember who it was, but and it wasn't that it was a bad idea, but Ole was on the sideline yelling at him to tell him to stay wide, stay wide and take his man on. And Sancho can do that, but it just seemed like we were missing a trick with having him as a more central playmaker because that is undoubtedly what he's what he's really good at and then sort of filtering out to the side. So I think it actually suits them too as well. And it provides more ability, I think, for um, van der Beek to get in the team because he can slot into two positions instead of just one position or even be played behind those two. So I just think when you look at our team and particularly the attacking side of it on paper, that just seems to open up a lot more opportunity for us um, than the 4-2-3-1 possibly did for a lot of those players in terms of rotation and also just getting the best out of them. So I'm really pleased with that. I think, again, it's just really impressive to see someone come in and diagnose things very quickly, tell you what they're going to do, and then you see that product on the pitch and that kind of clarity is oh, so nice. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing that was you could see quite quickly as well was, and he's talked about this, Rangnick himself, that he doesn't like kind of sideways passing. He doesn't want ball retention. He wants that ball sent up very quickly. And the one player, you know, you've already mentioned him, that I saw the big change in was Scott McTominay, who usually is a player who will take the safe pass. Uh, He usually has very high passing accuracy stats, but it's because he's passing mostly sideways. He's passing a lot of the time backwards and making sure he's just keeping hold of the ball and recycling. Today, I saw a lot more of him trying to get that ball forward, trying to hit one one of those kind of four forward players and it was actually reflected in his quite low passing accuracy stats today he's at like 74 percent which is i think as low as you'll ever see from scott mctominay so i think he has been given instruction that listen we want you to go for it we want you to make these passes and at the moment he isn't making them so what happens with him going forward? Let's see. Whereas, you know, somebody like Fred yeah. is staying all around 85% is doing better over there. Um, but yeah, like, you know, that was one that really stood out for me. Cause you normally see that kind of thing from Bruno, who's always taking risks yeah. and he's often like not making those passes. And, you know, I've said for the past couple of podcasts that for me, Bruno has been off form for most of the season. And again, today I thought he was, missing most of the passes he was trying to make unfortunately and it was often why we weren't quite creating that chance even though we had good positions we had good possession good intensity it was always like the last ball or the last shot that was just lacking in that first half that absolutely was the case in the first half and I loved the first half I was totally enamored with the setup and the effort and also just the way you could see it made made Crystal Palace feel you know after about 20 minutes it was just close-ups of their players faces after you know being harried or being pressed or giving the ball away I mean the amount of times they just hoiked it away to come straight back at them you could just tell they'd come to Old Trafford expecting what I think a lot of teams now expect um when they come to Old Trafford which is not what we want them to expect and that was a complete kind of flip of the switch for Crystal Palace and I think they felt extremely uncomfortable And to me, it felt like watching Manchester United should feel, you know, it was dominant and it was difficult for the team and it was quite loud. And I really, really enjoyed that. But to your point, I think still, I know we name checked a few sideways passes. For me, there was still times we were winning the ball high or when we were winning it at the halfway line with them not being able to clear their lines very effectively. And I still felt it was doing that sideways around the pitch thing a wee bit too much, you know, and it just felt... I was watching it thinking, well, what, what more can we do here? Because you're not really going to ask Fred and McTominay. You're, you're really going to want them to make runs more than to find the passes, I think, because that's what they both are. Um, it was really then, can Bruno and Sancho really affect it? And I agree with you. I thought Bruno was just okay. And Sancho, I thought, had a nice game, but not really a super effective game. And I just think he'll grow into that and grow into that. It's not a concern for me at all. It's just you're seeing now more and more really slick touches. It's, it's close control to get in between... Um, defenders and the way he understands kind of the angles of the football pitch particularly on the left hand side is really really fantastic but it just didn't materialize into really clear-cut chances so 
I thought we were hammering them at halftime and then looked at the XG. We'd barely had a chance, you know, and we barely had chances throughout the game. But we were always kind of just, I think, a her away, um, which I think on another day we could have absolutely hammered them, you know, if, if things had fallen differently. Um, but there's a really good range, you know, we were kind of trying to play little balls over the top for Bruno. Sancho was trying to work those sort of one-twos and those slips through to oncoming runners. And then I thought you had Tellez and Dallow play, providing genuinely very good delivery into Ronaldo and just none of them really fell for us very, very conveniently. Yeah, but, no, I did also notice as well those balls coming for wide were really good from both of them. And it's something we've often lacked, especially, we know, from the right side. Uh, you know, I still do not write off Aaron Wan-Bissaka. I think he's a very good defender, but he has not progressed attacking-wise as I would have liked. I saw kind of flashes last season that he was improving and I hoped he would continue improving, but that's not happened. So we kind of know by now that we're not going to expect much attacking-wise from him. And that means if this is the formation that Ranić's going to go for, then it may well be struggling for him to get back into the team. So we'll see there. Um, I think the one player, like you said, that had the biggest change in role was Sancho. Uh, because he's the one who's pushed more into a kind of second, kind of number 10-ish role, uh, which is probably a bit foreign to him, definitely for us, because he's always played either wide left, either wide right. Uh, and yeah, I thought he did pretty well there. He kept hold of the ball well enough. And But yeah, we'll see a lot of different players coming in and out. I'm sure... Donny van der Beek will finally get a chance somewhere yeah. in this team to show if was, he can fit when into I, when it. I saw... I, like you today, did not expect much change from Arsenal. You know, I think there was some crazy teams being thrown out there and stuff like that. I really expected very minimal change. But I did think we'd maybe see um, van der Beek in midfield, possibly in a 4-3-3 or something like that. So um, I did kind of expect... I don't know if, don't know if it was just because of the kind of... We've all seen the, the comments that Ranić has made regards him and the Ajax team and stuff like that. So I didn't, just didn't know if he was going to immediately throw him a vote of confidence. Obviously, he'll have been aware of how... The situation has been for Donny at United, you know, so that was my only surprise. And then he got on the 85th minute, but I have no doubt. I mean, I'm sure we'll see him against Young Boys, but I have no doubt we'll see him in more meaningful games very shortly as well, you know, rather than the Champions League dead rubber. Yeah, I expect us to do so as well. Uh, I mean, look, let's talk about Fred, as I say. He's the one who's had the most kind of press this week. Uh, he had this kind of Jekyll and Hyde game against Arsenal, which started with obviously fouling our own keeper, <laughs> but then went on to... And yeah, he was giving the ball away a few other times as well. Then he managed to actually get an assist. Was also the player who managed to win the penalty midweek. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people have laughed about Fred shooting, but today he pulls out an absolute beautiful curling finish, which is like the only, yeah, the one that wins the three points for us. And as you say, off chances, our XG today is low. We're talking about like 0.9 versus around 0.55. Uh, which kind of surprised me when I saw it. But then again, you think about it and you say, look, we didn't have that many clear-cut openings. We didn't work their goalie. Uh, it is the kind of area where sometimes XG does fall down. Because like you said, there was often where that last ball was just slightly off. And then XG records that as nothing because there's no chance taken. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, if that ball was just on, then maybe you've got an easy slot in for somebody. You know, there was a couple of times Ronaldo was just slightly off and things like that. Uh, but yeah. Uh, you know, it still shows we were ahead there. But off going off that, you'd say, yeah, we were lucky to win it, which didn't feel like that. Uh, but Fred is a player that just divides so much opinion. Uh, I saw just, what, a few weeks ago, Roy Keane absolutely laying into him online, yeah. and basically saying then, you know, it's one that I'd say a lot of our fans online are happy to get into. But I've always said, look, he does have his limitations. But look, if a player's playing regularly for Brazil, there has to be something in him there. Totally. And I mean, there was a lot of, there's a lot of, I think, before and after that Roy Keane outburst, which seemed a little bit OTT at the time. Um, a lot of Brazil internationals and Brazilians came out and said, look, we think Fred's brilliant and he plays this way for us. So maybe the problem is not Fred, but the problem is something in Manchester, essentially. Um, and maybe, maybe there was uh, more than a grain of truth in that because he does look like a... It, it, he doesn't look like a different player because he's doing all the same things. And as Arsenal showed, he still has the absolute harm skirm moments and the ability to go from the sublime to the absolute daft um, within the space of 10 seconds. He also seems to suffer poorly if he if he makes a mistake or a start or a bad start in a game. I think he, he takes a while to write the ship kind of thing, you know, which could be said for a few of our players. But the thing with Fred is he gets through so much work that it will cover so many flaws because what he gives the team it is so difficult to find other players who can do that for you. 
you know, you're literally talking about Kantes and just the, the absolute machines and workhorses of the game that can just do what other players can't from a kind of fitness perspective more than anything else and an energy perspective. I mean, he is just nonstop. And then he also has a, a degree of kind of culture and ability in terms of the passing game. Um, he just is sometimes a bit frantic and that is probably a double-edged sword that just goes with his style. But one thing that was very telling for me was, um, I mean, he has an assist against Arsenal, a goal today, but he also made the other goal against Arsenal and both of them were from runs into the box in the left-hand channel, both times fed by Sancho with a lovely little kind of inside ball that then placed Fred inside the box, stumbling all over himself, but ultimately delivering a lovely cutback for Bruno. And then I think, um, well, I can't remember what the second one was, but the exact same thing. And I think you will just see more and more of that of Fred arriving late and Fred becoming actually a very key piece in our attack because as I mentioned earlier I think Scott and Fred the best value they can give you in attacking sense is with their runs not with their passes they need to give the ball to Sancho and Bruno and then get ahead of them um, and obviously do all the dirty work on the backside so it's class to see I mean I'm sure he's hugely popular he seems like a very jovial um, lovable sort of rogue uh, big wide smile on him all the time and I've got all the time in the world for him I think he's a super useful player I think there's you know, people will see or should see why Guardiola wanted him or why other teams were interested in him because he has become a bit of a clownish figure, I think, with other fans. And it's probably not fair. And I'm quite hoping he'll um, make a lot of people eat their words. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at our pressing stats, then he is always top of them as the one who, you know, is doing the most pressures per game. And winning the ball the most in most matches. Uh, you know, on the last pod, we were just recorded after Chelsea. And in that match, he'd been pushed very far forward. He was like almost our second or third most forward player that day. Whereas in these last two matches, Arsenal and today, he is in the more kind of defensive midfield role, which we're more kind of used to. Uh, and, you know, his role is just to get it to those four kind of forward players. Still, obviously, he's having to press and win, but he's not sent anywhere near as high up. Whereas I thought maybe under Ranjit, we would see him in that kind of pressing role as for as Carrick had gone for. But yeah, look, it's still one, one game in. So, you know, we yeah. can't read and so I do much still think he led. I, I did still think he led quite a lot of the press, you know, and that really is... The, the sign of the press for me is that it's not just the foot. As soon as the forwards go, the, the two midfielders are stepping right up into the opposition half more than, you know, at the edge of their box at times pressing. And then you have behind them the fullbacks. And it, it can leave you exposed if teams are good enough to play out. But as we saw today, Crystal Palace couldn't. I mean, Conor Gallagher, who I rate extremely highly, I've been very impressed with his season so far. He was shocking today. Like he could not keep the ball at his feet and anytime he got rid of it it was this rushed awful pass that we were able to pick off and collect and he was he's obviously clearly their most technical midfielder there and um, so if he couldn't do it you know no one was getting a look in and that was just because of our pressure i think yeah totally totally and uh yeah as you say conor gallagher was actually in the england squad in the last time round and been having a great season but yeah palace didn't offer that much but you still did see you know, where the weaknesses are, because Palace did still get in a couple of times and, you know, went close again. And, uh, you know, it's the first time we've kept a clean sheet in a long time. That was one of the really pleasing things to say. And I know that Ranić in his pre-match kind of talks had immediately identified, obviously, the amount of goals we'd been shipping recently. Uh, you know, even after beating Arsenal 3-2, he was saying, yeah, well, he's still not good enough to be conceding two goals at Old Trafford, uh, which is mm -hmm. right about. Um, but, you know, at least our home fans have had something to celebrate in the last week after having to sit through the City and Liverpool kind of couple of weeks a month ago. They've now got back-to-back -back wins, a clean sheet today. And, yeah, that Arsenal win was huge, huge. Uh, just because, you know, they were ahead of us in the table at that point and how everything plays out. You know, we are quite clearly in a top four fight now uh, and teams like Arsenal are the ones we're probably going to be fighting with to the end of the season. Um, you know, just to clear up some of the other things. I mean, one, we're still not clear about what Ranić's kind of back room is going to be. Uh, you know, if we go back to his kind of press conference in the midweek, he did say that he still wants to bring in two or three of his own people. Um, yeah. At the same time, he said that he had wanted to retain Carrick, so it was not his choice. Whereas I think, you yeah. know, so a lot of people assumed that he's kind of said to Carrick that not maybe pushed him out, but maybe just said, oh, you're going to have a reduced role and Carrick wasn't happy about it. But he was quite clear and said, no, that wasn't my decision. That's been Carrick's decision. Um, but then, yeah, you see... 
Darren Fletcher, for example, very involved now coming off yeah. from the bench. See him even in the technical area, which mm-hmm. he was not under Ole. Uh, he, he was actually, I remember, on the bench when he first showed up. But since he's been in this so-called technical director's role, we've not seen him around the kind of match at all and now all of a sudden see him not only on the bench I actually saw him more than once being the guy who was actually in our technical area shouting instructions to the team yep I did I found that curious and it started in the last game or two that Ole had and then through the Carrick regime and it became even more prominent as you say and then today which I expected it to now stop because I thought oh maybe this is just you know we're going through a very difficult time. It's kind of all hands at the pump. You know, it's it's all in a bit of flux anyway. So who cares really who's there? But I didn't expect it to continue on for Rannick there. And it'd be interesting to see if it does or whether he now recedes. You know, it could be as simple as Darren Fletcher has identified that other people aren't maybe doing the best that they could be doing or that they should be doing. They don't have the natural talent. And maybe he feels, you know, he can be a leader there and he can have some positive impact or he, he's being encouraged to do that from some element i don't know these are things that can be very difficult for us to ever know and um, so i wouldn't say he shouldn't be doing it if he's got a natural uh willingness to or if he's, he has a, a good eye for something or if he is getting through to players and giving a bit of inspiration whatever it is but it does all seem a bit mixed up you know it does all seem a bit unclear as to whose job is what and or do we just have like a selection of former players you know the whole way up the sideline taking turns to give advice to our current team you know it just seems a little bit odd and I don't see that being replicated in lots of other top teams necessarily so it will be really interesting I mean Ranjik's brought in um, the sports uh, psychologist I think it was Um, he obviously had that you know hour and a half chat with Carrick where he was trying to convince him to stay on and he was I mean him and McKenna were like in each other's pockets today Mm. I don't know whether that's just like a a tour guide kind of situation for a few weeks because he seemed to be just asking him questions constantly which is totally understandable again i mean he's very much learning on the job i'm sure and uh, but it'll be interesting to see how that how that flushes out um you know when ole was going and when ole was indeed gone we were waiting to see who we were going to get i was very much of the mind that everyone should go clean sweep mm. and i appreciate michael carrick has said he's going for family reasons which i totally appreciate i think it's you know i wonder is it a good decision but if it's it's his decision so ultimately you know you just have to respect that and He's an absolute legend and he did extremely well um, in the period that we had him. Now with Ranjik there, he already feels like such a safe pair of hands. He has a real confidence about him in a kind of a statesman-like kind of way that I already feel very confident that each, I just don't get the impression he'll be you know, bullied into having certain people there if they're not pulling their weight and that he won't make decisions when he wants to make decisions, but I also think he's pragmatic enough probably to realize that you shouldn't get rid of people until you know yourself, whether you want them or not kind of thing, you know? So I, I, I just have this aura of calm about me now regards Manchester United, and it may prove to all go completely tits up again. And maybe he's not uh, quite, I'm putting too much faith in him, but it just seems to have relaxed everything. I think, and I just have a lot of faith that he's been there, done that on both sides of the ball, if you know what I mean, in terms of, being a manager and being someone who's actually leading and steering a club from an organizational point of view. So he has done this, you know, and he will, I don't think, have any wool pulled over his eyes in any senses, but also he'll not look a gift horse in the mouth, you know. And it may be that McKenna stays on and, and becomes instrumental and learns from Ranjik, and then, if so, great, you know. Um, and it may be that in a month's time it's all changed and it's all Ranjik's people, so we'll just wait and see. But I, the Fletcher one was weird. Fletcher one is weird. <laughs> Yeah, it is. And looking like you say, we still have <clears throat> Fletcher is there. McKenna feeling is still there. I would be uh, surprised yeah. if he's still there come like yeah. the next season. But, you know, we'll see. I think at the moment that Ranjik is just in the phase where he's saying, listen, I just want to learn everything, get everybody's opinions, you know, as much yeah. information as possible. And then, yeah, he'll make his decisions going forward. And he said his something that he's even had a long conversation with Ole about the team, about the tactics, got his opinion on it. Uh, you know, it's pretty rare that you'll get a new incoming yeah. manager talking totally. to the old one. I mean, I'm absolutely certain that Ole never discussed anything with Jose. And I'm absolutely <laughs> yeah. sure that Jose never had any word with Louis van Hal. and, you know, going no. back, going from there. Um, I mean, yeah, OK, I'm sure David Moyes probably did talk with Alex Ferguson when he came in, but that's a different kind of scenario. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that so that was interesting to hear, Ranjik say. I've chatted with Ole, I've chatted with Carrick. Now you see him, like you say, talking a lot with McKenna during the game. Uh, I mean, 
I was pretty sad when I heard Carrot was leaving. I was pretty shocked as well, especially, you know, we had the high of that kind of game coming up uh, for him to announce it right there at the end. I was surprised because I'd kind of had, and, you know, that's my kind of United romanticism coming out saying, oh, well, maybe uh, Rangnick can come in, mentor Carrick, and he can be our next manager. Why not? Um, but, yeah, yeah look, it's not going yeah, <laughs> but that's it. It's not going to be. Carrick's decided to go another way. Um, yeah. I I liked what I saw from the little bit we had of Michael Carrick. I mean, he had three matches, two wins, a draw, all pretty difficult matches. I mean, Chelsea away, uh, Villarreal away, uh, Arsenal at home. And he's done about as well as you could have expected. And he kind of looked like the part to me that I didn't necessarily expect. He looked like, yeah, I thought, yeah, look, he looks like a manager. He feels comfortable when he's in front of the press or whatever. And I'm sure he should get an opportunity, you know, a championship club or something to come and show himself. Yeah, I agree. He did. I mean, he did extremely well. I do think there's a danger of the, the, not the new manager bounce, but the manager sack bounce kind of thing, you know, which I also think is, probably prevalent in some of this Ranyuk pressing as well. So again, that's my, you know, as impressive as it all has been, I, I want to see in five games, 10 games, what we're looking like, you know, because there is always this bounce for any team, whether it's, you know, a relegation um, struggling team or, or or the like of United or Chelsea. I think you always get this players get into that mentality of just kind of chugging along and not really finding that real motivation. And there's nothing for motivation, like having to prove yourself to a new um, boss or, someone being sacked based on your efforts on the pitch so i wouldn't just want to give so much credit to either Carrick or Ranić. um you know in the immediate aftermath however the point that i absolutely agree on is that he, on the sideline you know in in the post-match pressers and all that kind of stuff he absolutely did look the part i thought um and he's always been a cool guy you know he's always been a calm person as well um but it'll be interesting to see you know his next role will be very interesting if he even wants one you know i really don't know what's stepping away at this point kind of says about his long-term future and how he even views that. You know, I do appreciate everyone should deserve a break and also perhaps there's a bit of loyalty there to Ole um, and a bit of fatigue, I'm sure. But this was really a golden opportunity, really, in terms of prepping for managerial, you know, career kind of thing to to, to work on Aranik, I think, and to just remain at your club, which I think for every United player who comes through um, now as a coach or as a manager or whatever you know has to be the aim because what other job do you want you know he doesn't want to go to Charlton yeah well look Lessie like I say he, he talks about wanting to have a break family time and thought it was the right kind of area for that I mean we did see also players like Skulls are on TV saying oh if I was in Carrick's position I would have left with Ole uh, you know which I thought was absolute nonsense because you know Carrick yeah, stepped totally. up yeah. to do the best thing for the team which was just to get through those few matches till the next guy came in and that's exactly what he's done it's um, just it's just I mean we get a lot of reminders but it's just a lot of reminder that great footballers don't make great football upon and that also that should extend to coaching and managerial because what does he exp- like what in Skulls' mind does he want us to do for three games if all the staff get up and walk out like in what even from a log- like a logistical standpoint it just makes no sense y- you wouldn't have it it just it just was daft some of those guys love them though I do um, as former United players just uh, do make you want to pull your heart a wee bit with sometimes some of the things to say and some of the things yeah no do and, and you know we've seen that it was absolutely the right thing for Carrick to stay, for the whole team to stay, and that, you know, we got some good results. We qualified top of our Champions League group with him there. A big win against Arsenal, a draw against Chelsea, where people were expecting us to get a battering. So, look, Carrick's done about as well as you can. Um, I think he will go, come back, and, you know, I would expect him to get a kind of championship-level job and to come and show himself from there. I mean, why not? And, yeah, look, maybe one day we can see him back in the dugout at Old Trafford if he proves himself there, you know. Uh, we see the likes of, obviously, Lampard has gone that route, ended up in Chelsea, didn't go, and has now has to restart himself. We see Gerard kind of halfway through that trajectory. Another, we know exactly where he was. win, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you know we know exactly where he wants to be uh, in yeah. a few years' time. So yeah, well, he's, pl- I mean, he's playing them next week, so we'll see how that goes. 
yeah, yeah. Um, just before we move on from the Palace game, just did want to mention as well, Anthony Alanga getting onto the pitch. Uh, you know, we did like an in-depth thing on the academy and we did mostly focus on the players out on loan last week. So we didn't actually talk that much about the likes of Alanga and Ahmad, who are still at the club. Um, you know, Alanga was one that I really loved seeing at the end of last season when Ole gave him some chances, scored a couple of goals. Uh, I saw him on the bench today and to be honest, did not think he would get on the field. Just thought he's filling up a bench space because uh, Martial's out, Lingard's out, obviously Cavani's still out. But, um, you know, Ranić's had no qualms about throwing him straight in there. Uh, he's a player who plays regularly for Sweden under-21s. And, yeah, I think he's a player that needs to be playing regular football. Whether he can get it with us or whether he needs to go on loan will be interesting to see. I mean, he didn't have that much chance kind of to impact the game. But yeah, he what I think what he did, he did well. And he as well is just settling into a system. But yeah, I was really happy to immediately see one of the kind of new academy lads get some minutes there. Uh, but yeah, we have to say that we're happy. We've got this first win in a clean sheet. But, you know, you were getting to like the 75th minute. We hadn't got that breakthrough. Palace were looking kind of more and more comfortable as the game went on. So yeah, it yeah. was an absolute vital strike for Fred to pull out and get that win finally. Because if this had ended nil-nil or something like that, then, you know... That impetus that we'd got from the carrot kind of uh, caretaker role was lost immediately. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I was watching the game thinking, this is so good, but if we don't win, you know, does that damage the kind of effect of Ranić's tactics, if you know what I mean? Because you really want to come in and say, let's do this. And it's, you know, particularly with a pressing style, because you're asking quite a lot of the players from a physical standpoint. It's not fun work. You know, you have to really help want them to understand the benefits of it and the the kind of positions that'll allow them to be in to then get goals and assists and do all the fun stuff because you really have to go through a bit of torture to get that you know you have to expend a lot of effort you have to do a lot of training you have to do a lot of running and you have to work hard and when you do that and it and it goes well but for some reason you just don't take the chances and then you lose or you draw I think it can possibly dampen the effect of that message for someone coming in and saying, look, this is the way we want to play. And then we'll go, well, look, that was only bloody Crystal Palace and it didn't really work, even though it was working and we just couldn't finish chances. So I was kind of watching it and thinking, if we win this 1-0, that's actually possibly the best result we could have because it'll rely on us showing a bit of grit and, and kind of really dedicating ourselves to the to the kind of um to the tactics and, and showing that it can work and that we can trust our defense. Or, you know, beating them 4-0 would have been fine as well. But in the end, it was a good way to do it. And I actually thought they had like one big chance, I think, just before we scored. But after that, they had a few corners to play up. But I actually thought we managed the game pretty confidently towards the end as well and just kept the ball pretty well and, and kept the press up. Whereas I think even previously when we've gone with the pressing thing, as soon as we go 1-0 up, particularly if you do it late on or in the second half at all, you suddenly abandon that tactic completely and you start to drop back and drop back and drop back. Whereas I don't think that will be allowed under Ralph. I think he's... You know, so committed to that that it's for the 90 minutes. And, and I think you see that in the Alanga substitution. It really doesn't matter whether Cristiano Ronaldo is on the pitch or Anthony Alanga. Whichever one of them can run more at that point is probably the one that's going to be on. And I think with subs, he'll be a bit more proactive and a bit more able to utilize the entire squad because he is looking at things other than just, well, that person scored 800 goals and I need a goal or whatever it is. You know, I think he takes a more holistic view of just, okay, yes, he's a better player, but he's not been good for 70 minutes or he's not able to run anymore he's not giving me the tactical thing i need and i think he'll therefore be more willing to kind of make those subs so again all all good stuff as far as i'm concerned yeah, definitely. And, you know, as I've said many times on recent podcasts, you know, my biggest issue towards the end of Ole's time was about rotation, about not making the subs early enough, uh, about not, you know, not enough players being seen. So, yeah, today, even though they only came on for cameos, you know, it was good to see Van Der Beek come in, good to see Alanga. And Carrick had been doing the same as well. I think that was one of the big changes he did manage to make from kind of Ole. He was making those subs. He was yeah, switching up a few were players. really well timed, yeah. Yeah. It's, like it's the it's the difference of five or ten minutes like you know there was times where Ole would wait till the 91st minute whereas Carrick and Ranick seemed to be doing it at the 82nd minute and for me if I was Donny van der Beek it's not an ideal situation but one is so much better than the other you know one is just so we can take minutes off the clock and the other one is actually you know for a purpose and then similarly you know whether it's the 60th minute or the 75th minute again just makes I think such a big difference for that sub you know and we said it all the while you know for someone who made his career as a substitute it was so stark 
the contrast when he was a manager, you know. Although I did still love the Ole banners, the Ole's chants. I don't know if that was mentioned last week, um, but I just think that's very cool. As you said earlier, very rare for a for an outgoing manager to do a big press sit down interview where he um, becomes emotional and then also have a great old chat with the incoming manager to do his best to help the team along. You know, I just think that's just beyond classy, and uh, it was really good that the home fans were. Um, doing that i think that i think we'll sing that all all year if and then obviously you know we always sing it anyway kind of thing but i think it'll be you'll hear it every single home game you know yeah definitely i mean obviously we're not hearing always at the wheel anymore but we're hearing no. you are my soul which is his yeah. kind of more classic uh song going back to his playing days and yeah i'm sure we'll be getting rollouts of that every week and, and i said for that arsenal game uh even though the fans didn't know until the end of the match we heard the carrick's famous song you know uh it's you know hard to believe it's not skulls which is another kind of classic so yeah for him yeah. to have been sat there hearing that belting out must have been brilliant when he knew yeah. that at the end of this game i'm passing it on and yeah you know we have, have you to been, say uh, that as a, as a proud member of the singing section uh nick have you been working on any ralph uh chances any of that on i'm not i'm any? not one to be honest whoever comes up with chance that's not me i'm like <laughs> i'll i'll join in i'll sing whatever's up to a thing but yeah i leave that to other guys who are more the song starters and you know there's the the guys who spend a lot of time in the pub coming up with these things uh like i say that's not for me and i'm sure they'll get something up for ralph sooner or later uh yeah, yeah like as i say leave it to to the guys who are better at that kind of thing i think nowadays as well these things actually come more from the tra the red army who are in the opposite mm. corner to where i am in the kind of j stand uh, singing standings section uh they're the ones who are probably the ones who are going to be responsible for a lot of their songs coming out nowadays and then yeah it passes around the ground from there uh but you know the atmosphere as i know has been really good in the ground it even had been even when we were going through the bad patch yeah. uh you know it's something that's not been talked about enough that the atmosphere at old trafford this season in general has been really great uh you know i know i actually wasn't there in the end but i know alex was there for the liverpool game and he said look even when we were whatever four nil down we were still singing to make sure uh liverpool remembered that we were here there has been a vast improvement in the old Trafford atmosphere so you know that's great for the new managers who are coming in to get to kind of experience that uh, and you know we shouldn't forget kind of mentioned it on the last pod that Rangnick has this massive kind of reputation in football but he's never had anywhere near a bigger job as this not even close because no. you're no. talking about you know Schalke being probably the biggest job he had before uh, you know yeah. Leipzig have ended up being a Champions League club but yeah Schalke yeah. was the biggest team he's been at and you know they're not Dortmund they're not Bayern Munich uh, so yeah for him to come in here now is a whole different level than anything he's done before but he looks comfortable like you say everything he says he kind of just oozes kind of experience yeah it looks like it would be extremely difficult to fluster him. And maybe we will. Maybe we will see it. You know, I'm sure, you know, you still, you see plenty of Klopp and Guardiola. Absolutely. I mean, Klopp comes out with some downright embarrassing stuff. And I'm, a, you know, a big admirer, to be fair. And But he, you know, we've had the wind and the weather and all the random, you know, hysterical kind of tantrums he's thrown. And still, you would say, obviously, they're both generational, unbelievable managers. So I'm sure we'll see a bit of flapping. But he just seems very cool, calm and collected. He seems very in control. Obviously, he's... You know, he's 60, what is he, 62 or something, is he? Or yeah. 60, yeah, so, you know, he's he's experienced. Um, and as I say, he's been on both sides of the ball in terms of management mm. and, and, and club organisation. So I don't think he'll be all bad. And I also think, you know, I don't think he needs it, like, kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? So he, like, he, he came in his press conference and said he turned down Chelsea earlier in the year because it was too yeah. short a contract. And we've offered him a pretty short contract. Now, obviously, the... the um two years the, advisory yes role. exactly so i'm sure that 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 i mean he said it's because you can't turn down united you know and i i love it when managers say things like that but i'm sure he would have said you can't turn down chelsea if he took that job as well do you know what i mean but it's interesting to see they didn't feel pressure to take that job at that time um and yet he did take this job so I, early indication is that i think it's you're pretty calm and also like his post-match press conference today nick where he just detailed the tactics in this unashamed mm. open way and he just described everyone, you know, and, and it is, you know, I can see, I was going to say I see a lot of Tuchel in him, but really it's the other way around kind of thing. But, and again, I don't want to just mug off Ole because we love Ole. We, we love Ole. But his, and I get some managers will just be guarded or just be tongue in cheek or just be face value with any in press conversations, fair enough. But also it's an opportunity to like, 
you know, speak to your fans and also to your team in an indirect way. And he just showed so much for me, like control. Here it is. Like I'm giving a lesson basically to you school children, essentially, and what my team's doing kind of thing. And just really enjoyed it, really enjoyed it because it, it helps me understand. And I think even if things are going poorly, say the pressing doesn't really work or he's just struggling to get the most out of these big name players or whatever. If, if you can kind of understand why someone's doing something, it becomes a lot easier to accept if even if it's not working kind of thing, do you know what I mean? Because you just have insight and you just it takes away that frustration of being like, why are you doing this? You know, why do you keep saying this one thing, but then doing something completely different or whatever? So that was pretty cool as well, I thought. Yeah, and as you say, he's been quite open about the fact that he turned down Chelsea. Uh, I think he's a manager who was destined to come and work in England at some point. Uh, you know, if people haven't gone and read about his history, he actually went to university in England like way back in the 70s, spent a year down on the South Coast, even played some kind of non-league football over here. Uh, and he talks quite fondly about going to watch Arsenal and Brighton and teams like that way back in the 70s. So I think, you know, England football had been a big part of his early kind of football uh, education and you know will have been a part of where he's taken himself as a coach and a manager uh, he, he's also come out now and mentioned that he was talked to about being the England national manager at the time when Sam Allardyce took the job and he said oh chatted about it so it was interesting and in the end they said listen I think the optics of a German being England manager I'm afraid is not going to happen and that job at that point went to Sam Allardyce uh, and he also mentioned that he talked well, yeah, yeah. I mean, anyway, Allardyce only lasted one match. Then we yeah, got Southgate and he's been the, yeah. had the best record of any England manager yeah. in recent history. Uh, he apparently had also talked to West Brom when Roy Hodgson took the job like some years ago. So he's had opportunities in the past and for whatever reason, they haven't happened. But yeah, finally, he is here taking the full circle and come back to England. And I think that the one thing, whenever you see him, he's always talking about a long term plan. Uh, you yeah. know, even when he's saying he's only here for six months, he's already said, look, I pers- might be open to this being longer. Uh, so it's not a done yeah. deal that he's just here till the end of the season. He might be happy yeah. with the coaches, teams around there, bringing a couple of other people. Um, you know, obviously, so yeah, talk all about Pochettino, Ten Hag will go on probably for the all the next year. But yeah, let's see what happens. There's all sorts totally. of options coming in over there. Um the next match we're going to be coming up is... Just before gonna... that, Nick, just before that, I feel like we have to discuss De Gea slash Fred versus Arsenal. Yeah, go on. Like, as, there's so much being said about it, and it seems like a lifetime ago, even though that it match does. was only three exactly. days ago. Just so because much it was has a different happened. Manager. You know, it was a different manager, and we're so on the Ralph train now that it just seems, you know, pointless. But, and I agree with you, too much has already been said about this, because, and... I'm going to shout out Imran because he came out with some horrendous takes, in my opinion, about fair play and sportsmanship and how Emil Smith-Rowe is, you know, uh, should be ashamed of himself, which I just find ridiculous. The only person in that sequence of play who should be ashamed of himself is David De Gea. I will preface this rant. I don't want to play up to listener expectations of my David De Gea bias and agenda, but I will preface it by saying he has probably been our player of the year alongside Ronaldo. I would probably give it to Ronaldo because of the Champions League goals, really, although De Gea made enough Champions League saves to keep us in those games as well. Um, but, so, you know, he's been good this year. He's been extremely good this year, almost back to his best. Very little issues. But that is just so indicative of him as a player in just that he is a wet blanket. He is a weak, mentally fragile goalkeeper. And it was just crazy to me that he would think in his head that he can feel whatever amount of contact be it slight or major and that whilst the ball's in play at a corner with you know nine opposition players in and around your box trying to score a goal that that is a suitable time for him to attempt to buy a free kick or to buy a stoppage in play now he might not have even known it was Fred who did it he might have thought it was an Arsenal player but you cannot do that you just simply can't force the referee and we see this all the time in modern football with players falling on the ball and, and kind of putting it in their arms expecting a whistle or players you know launching themselves and diving around just all trying to buy free kicks and feign you know injury essentially and you kind of accept it all around the park one place you should never accept it is the goal line you have to stand up i don't really care how hurt you are it would have to be the most torturous and worst injury ever suffered to someone's ankle I think to not kind of bounce up and just at least see it out because the ball's going to go out of play or be cleared in 
five seconds or at least look as to what's happening but just to not even look go down and roll around like a girl to then get up like two minutes later and you know it's just bizarre to me absolutely bizarre i just couldn't fathom how a professional can can be at that yeah and i have to agree with you to be honest um i mean I, obviously, he thinks he's been fouled by an Arsenal player and that whatever happens after is going to get picked up on VAR and, you know, everything will get taken off. But uh, at the end of it, it turns out he's actually been stepped on by Fred. But it was nothing. It was nothing. I mean, I have five of those playing Saturday yeah, morning totally, football like totally. every and that's match. The thing. We, all, we all play football and we all know what... Con- it's not nice, but it doesn't... It does not... You would not fall over for any reason other than they're now trained to feel contact and fall. And I get that when you're an attacker and you're going into the penalty box or you're a midfielder and you want to buy a free kick or whatever. You know, it's not great. It's not ideal. We don't love it, but we kind of accept it, but not there. And I appreciate what happened after he fell is a very odd sequence of events that led to then it being a goal, i.e. the whole block line of sight and then uh, the ref only seeing it as um, ML Smith-Rowe hits the shot and then like being about to blow it up and the ref was going to deny the goal which would have been an injustice really and the timing of it all you know if, if there's another few seconds before he hits the shot he probably does stop play and fair enough but again play should be stopped for head injuries for very good reason and that's it you know there's like the most heinous injuries you'll ever see on a rugby pitch and there'll be players just playing over them as the physio treats them you know we're not mm-hmm. the, the the manner in which we've gotten to in football in terms of how we deal with injuries and how we allow players to abuse that is probably beyond the point of no return, but it is so sad. And sometimes you see it even more in Champions League nights, you know, in the continental style play and all that kind of stuff. It typically isn't too bad in England in comparison, but God, it's depressing. And I, mean, I think there is kind of a thing about the referee in this game. Uh, you know, he cut chickens out. He doesn't blow the whistle. He leaves it to VAR. I think in a pre-VAR day, when a referee sees a goalie like that, he probably would blow the whistle, I would yeah. say. Um, but yeah, this ref as well, like, you know, I don't want to go too much into the Arsenal game, as I say, because it's a few days ago now. But how he didn't see how clear the Fred penalty was, how he needs VAR to tell him was just absolutely stonewall, blatant foul and penalty mm. for that as well. But we see that a lot now where the refs are saying, look, I'm not going to make the call. Why Why should I? Let's leave it to VAR. Well, it, it probably shows you how much previously they were guessing. Yeah, yeah. Do and you know, to be fair, uh, VAR has been so much better oh, in recent times. Day. It's barely spoken about anymore. Since yeah, they you know, the offside, we used to moan about it, it every know. week. And now, yeah. like, it's been done properly. And we see now that it wasn't actually the issue with VAR. It was the issue with how it was being implemented yeah. in England specifically, and that they'd made a total mess of it. And now we kind of say, look, yeah, we, you know, there's still sometimes where the wrong call is made, but yeah. they're not wasting too much time. They're not pulling out somebody's one inch of toe is offside. And, yeah. you know, generally they're trying to let the game play a lot more, which is, yeah, how it should be. And I have to say, yeah, there has been a big, big improvement in it. You know, I've always been quite anti-VAR, particularly as somebody who goes to the stadium and when you're sat there and you have no idea mm. what's going on and just waiting, it's absolutely an yeah. annoying compared to being at home when you can actually see some of the replays and feel like, yeah. you know, you're part of this. But yeah, now at least they're doing it in a decent way. So we can't moan too much. Um, but yeah, yeah, it has been a big talking point. And I, I know, like you said, Imran did come out and say, look, I think it's unsportsmanlike. But we had a poll of our listeners online. I think 75% said, look, that goal should have stood. And it about 25%. He can hardly know that the hair's on the floor because he, there's such a throng of bodies. But even if he is, I still think, stick. The, I would want all of our players to smash the ball in. And let the ref figure it out. Now, if the ref blows the whistle, you shouldn't even hit it. Well, know? yeah, look, you know, so I remember fine. being taught from like literally eight years old, play to the whistle. Yeah. Keep playing, play to the whistle. It's like one of the first things that's drummed into you. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't have an issue with um, Smith Rowe taking that shot and scoring it. And then, you know, it's up to the ref and up to VAR to see what's gone on from there. Uh, but, yeah, we shouldn't discount, like I say, we're talking about the three points at Palace, but that three points against Arsenal was actually a much, much bigger win, especially because we had to come back, especially because it was Carrick's last game, as it turned out. Uh, and, you know, it gives us kind of some impetus getting back into this kind of top 
four race. And, you know, that we see teams like Chelsea dropping points, uh, you know, and a lot of people have been saying, look, the top three are clear. We can't catch up there. And it does kind of look like that. But look, stranger things have happened for sure. Um, and, you know, I talked on the last show about how I had a bet for a couple of years running with a mate of mine about uh, he kept telling me Ole's going to be gone by Christmas and he wasn't and this year he didn't offer me that bet but I have had (laughs) a hefty bet with him this year at the start of the season that I said United will finish in the top three which at the moment is looking unlikely so yeah yeah, we'll see if he's going to get some of his uh, money back from that but yeah I'm still holding out some kind of hope on it Uh, you know let's see what kind of run we can go on Um, before we look ahead to the next matches want to give a shout out to our usual sponsor as Manscaped and uh, yeah they've got their holiday season blub over here everybody who's looking for some presents whether it's your husband your brother your partner whoever have a look over there check out manscaped.com use the code united hour you will get 20 percent off their big kind of package is the performance package 4.0 which has the body trimmer has some boxer shorts a travel bag and all sorts of different things in there if you're looking for some smaller kind of stocking stuffers have a look at manscaped signature aftershave they've also got the shears luxury nail kit and a crop reviver which is their toner and refresher so yeah all sorts of different things on there and yeah the weed whacker which is the ears and no trimmer as well as a nice little stocking filler so yeah head over to manscape.com use the code united hour for 20 percent off um so yeah look our next up match is young boys which is a dead rubber and we know we're thankful at that because we started this champions league campaign with a loss to young boys away and it wasn't looking good so even though yeah ole's ended up losing his job we've actually ended up qualifying top of the group with a game to spare which is brilliant and the best thing about it is that it gives ranjik a chance to look at virtually his whole squad over two games uh, to really assess everybody um you know i would ex- obviously we're going to see a big change in the team that's put out and the only issue is who's actually available because we've actually our injury list has grown quite a bit you know Shaw, Cavani, Varane, Martial, Lingard, Matic were all unavailable today Um, so I don't know if he'll be able to put out a fully changed team if some of those come back in maybe he will Uh, maybe we'll get a chance to see some of those younger players and most likely it would be Alanga or Ahmad over there Uh, players like Mata who we've not seen for ages Uh, one player who we unfortunately won't see is Phil Jones because he's not registered for the Champions League Uh, so there's probably will be you know Bailly was sure to come in but somebody else will be there no yeah uh, Ranjik actually mentioned it he said yeah he's the only one who's not an option for me from the players I'm looking at in training at the moment because he wasn't registered at the start of the season Um, but yeah like I say it's great to have this kind of just free hit game for Ranjik to try a few things have a look at some players that he probably either would not then have had a chance to look at if we didn't have this kind of match right because of the head-to-head are we with VRL, are we guaranteed top? Is that correct? Yeah, we're guaranteed Regardless, top even if spot. we lose, essentially, yeah. Yeah, I think that's great then. Um, I, I mean, I've seen a few uh, posts on the CAF putting out potential teams, you know, with a literally a complete rotation. And it's always great to see those teams within the season because it's rare enough to get that opportunity, you know, and be brave enough in, in one of the cups or whatever to do that. But there's one of the situations where you literally can't lose. Um, so yeah it'd be good to see but as you say I suppose injuries are the main concern some of those ones are very vague you know got the likes Cavani who you know I'm sure everyone desperately wants to see quite a lot you know particularly with Rania because he's, he's so effective with the press but it just seems there's all these vague little niggles kind of thing that are really plaguing I appreciate he's a, an older gentleman but it is just a little bit disappointing but I would hope that a lot of those players are are training this week and able to be fielded because otherwise it, it reduces the effectiveness of it because those are the players that need need the minutes and need to show show a bit as well you know yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, for sure, we'll see Bailly, we'll see Van der Beek. I guess Saren Wan-Bissaka will become back in. And, uh, you know, Greenwood has not played much recently. He did come on nope. today, but he'd had COVID, so he's been out of action. So he'll sure to get a start. So I yeah, did think he looked good as well today, actually. I think he was the one who gave the assist for Fred. And it was just yeah, that classic was. kind of bit of composure in the box. And I think Greenwood versus Rashford is going to become a very interesting... I think side piece and um, because Rashford hasn't been in great form I think it's frustrating a lot of United fans I absolutely agree with that but I still think it gives you so much in terms of the the aerial over the top threat and can occasionally just you know do something fantastic like the long balls from Lindelof he gets up behind scores immediately kind of thing and I do expect him to regain form 
Um, however, like Greenwood is just a lot more consistent in his on the ball like composure and delivery and, and for the chances that fall to both of them you would always kind of fancy Greenwood to make more of them so I do think that could if he comes back you know into fitness that could that become a real question for the squad you know yeah definitely and these are good questions to have I mean I did wonder when Greenwood came in whether he was going to be the kind of you know the most forward to or the two behind uh, but yeah he ended up just being straight swap for Sancho in that two behind whereas I kind of mm-hmm. thought maybe he might be pushed up front and Rashford might drop in but I think yeah. uh, the types of Rangnick he prefers just to keep the system and it's just yeah. light for light kind of changing and keeping that system going and uh, but yeah look I, like I say it's great to get this free hit game and one thing as well is that this match will take place at Old Trafford because there have been some question marks unfortunately the ugly head of COVID it is starting to affect football around Europe again. I've seen, I think, yeah, Austria and even Holland have gone back to behind closed doors football. Um, the Munich versus, is it Barcelona game? I can't remember who they're playing actually, will be behind closed doors. Uh, so I hope that this doesn't come back to England again. But, you know, these things are out of our control. And yeah, it's a shame that this is starting to cream back in. But yeah, at the moment that game will take place at Old Trafford. And then, you know, we've got a very, well, on paper, a pretty easy run of games that could really get us back up the table. I mean, you're looking at, to, to take us to the end of the year, it's basically Norwich, Brentford, Brighton, Newcastle, Burnley. And then in the new year, it's Wolves, Aston Villa. Uh, and then, yeah, we do get West Ham, who definitely isn't an easy game on current kind of form. But yeah, you're looking at one two, Seven kind of matches then coming up in the Premier League where really you would say, you know, you'd expect three points in most of them. It won't go that way, of course. There'll definitely be some draws uh, minimum. But it's good for Ranjit to get this kind of run. I mean, Ole has taken that really difficult run that obviously we played Liverpool, we played City, and then even Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham have all been in that run in the middle. And, uh, And I don't know... I don't think there is any kind of timing of planned of this from our club because we know that decisions were taken kind of last minute and just kind of game to game. But the way it works out is quite nice for an incoming manager. Uh, Even though, as I say, in the Premier League, anything can happen. We've seen the likes of uh, Burnley and whatever turn up and get results where nobody was expecting recently. And, you know, as well in that Christmas run up, there's always surprises. So, yeah, it's not to say things will go to plan and that we're going to win every single game, but it is just nice for him to get a relatively easier start and not have the pressure of some like big, big games straight off over there. Uh, but yeah, they will come up again in the new year. But yeah, I think generally we're both feeling pretty excited about the new regime. Uh, you know, really interesting. And if anybody hasn't, get on YouTube, go and listen to what Ralph Grianic has to say because it's well worth watching. Uh, you know, and I'd said often myself that press conferences with Ole often tended to be pretty bland and not that interesting. And I didn't mind it at the time because he was taking... He wasn't the type like Mourinho or Joe uh, or uh, Louis van Gaal, where he wants all that ego, all that kind of limelight on him. He wanted it to be a totally different way, and I was fine with that. But now, Ranić, he is a man you want to listen to. He is a man where you want to hear what he has to say and hear what the plan is. And uh, look, let's hope he can put it into practice. Totally. So, yeah, I think that will be it from us for now. We will be back after the Norwich game next week. Uh, been very happy to see a lot of comments on Red Cafe. Shout out to all the guys over there. Uh, we've got some good questions as well from Twitter recently. So anybody who wants us to cover anything, just, yeah, send us a DM over on Twitter or stick it in the thread over on Red Cafe. And, uh, yeah, shout out again to our Patreon supporters. Uh, great to have you guys with us. And I know I've promised it for a while, but, yeah, we've kind of ignored you all. But I've actually decided that I'm going to throw out a prize for some of our Patreon guys. I think Manscaped have actually agreed to get a prize for you guys because, yeah, we were supposed to have been getting you extra content. So instead, one of you Patreon guys is going to get picked out and get a Manscaped package coming to you. So, yeah, we'll let you know more about that through the Patreon subscription site. And anyone who's interested in getting involved in that, go head over to Patreon, search for United Hour, and you can get involved in our match day chats and things like that. Um, But yeah, that's it from us this week and we'll see you back on the next one. Cheerio. Good night. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.